if I wanted to buy a chair for my classroom, I needed to, you know, write up an explanation of why that chair was necessary, how it was going to be used, yeah. and how it might improve my pedagogy in the classroom. You had to like write a grant. It's a for little it. bit of an extreme example, but <laughs> a grant request for that one extra chair. Should I quit my job? Can I quit my job? What else would I even do? The topic of career change is probably the number one topic of educator happy hours all over the world. Okay, maybe it's number two after telling stories about students who made us frustrated or laugh or cry or all the above in one day. In years past, chatting about career change was usually amusing musings that ended after paying the tab. But the times are a-changing thanks in no small part to a little pandemic prompting the Great Resignation. According to a 2022 Merrimack College study, only 12% of teachers are very satisfied with their jobs, down 62% from 2008. 44% of teachers said they were fairly or very likely to leave their jobs in the next two years. Now, not every one of those 44% will probably leave. I mean, if they did, we're in huge trouble because that would be about 1.3 million teachers piecing out of their pencil-shaving kingdoms. I could geek out hard on the many factors leading to teacher attrition. Low salaries, lack of autonomy and respect, work overload, the list goes on. But is the grass greener on the other side of the employment fence? What could educators gain by leaving, but what might they lose? That's the topic of today's Educator Happy Hour. What's it like to leave teaching? Is the grass really greener on the other side? Let's find out. Educator Happy Hour is brought to you by Top Youth Speakers. Are you looking to inspire your students or staff to not only motivate their thinking, but their actions in school and beyond? Then check out Top Youth Speakers. Top Youth Speakers is a group of 33 carefully vetted speakers and professional development leaders whose messages are engaging, evidence-based, and life-changing. Browse speakers and watch preview videos at topyouthspeakers.com. What is up? Happy hour, hodgepodge. Now, if you know me, you know I'm a huge fan of this thing called job crafting, where you make strategic changes to your tasks, your relationships, or even your cognitive framing to get more meaning out of your work. It's something I've used over and over in my career, whether it was on a small scale, like creating new classes, or on a larger scale by taking on whole new roles in the realm of education. I think all teachers and humans should job craft, but the challenge is how big or how little. Today, we're going to talk to someone who's made a big shift, a big job craft, leaving classroom teaching to work in the corporate world. Nick was an accomplished, dedicated, and skilled teacher who took the leap into the private sector. A year on from his move, we get to tap into his experience and ask the question, is the grass greener outside of education? Let's welcome Nick to Educator Happy Hour. All right, Nick Richardson, welcome to the Educator Happy Hour podcast. The most important question we have to kick off with is what is your drink or decompressor of choice? Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, drink or, or decompressor of choice? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll do my healthy answer and then my unhealthy answer. <laughs> my, my healthy answer is uh, my decompressor is I go to the gym, I get that energy out, I come back and I've worked my, my mind and my brain. Uh, my <laughs> More common answer would be a uh, an old fashioned, nice uh, on the rocks. But yeah, I I, I 
I try to stick to the uh, the good stuff during the work week. Nice. That's my uh, Friday night de-stressor. Yeah, I feel like everyone has like their healthy version, but then there's also the yeah, like yeah. when I just don't even care about health. That's what I'm going for. Love it. So we're going to be talking a lot about is the grass greener on the other side outside of education. You worked in education as a classroom teacher. You made the shift into the private yep. sector, um, and we just want to pick your brain of what that has been like. So we're going to start. I would love for you to just kind of explain very briefly what was your experience in education? What, what did you do in the classroom? I had a great time in education. I, I taught for six years at um, the same high school as you, so we've been colleagues for a while. Um, and uh, I had kind of a twisty-turny path through those years. So uh, I started as a high school English educator, uh, focusing primarily on uh, grades 9 and 10. Over the course of the years I was there, I shifted into some more niche classes uh, based around psychology. That included regular psychology, um, positive psychology, of course, you, you know all about because mm -hmm. you wrote that one. I worked on the PALS program, another program you're familiar with, um, and uh, I got to teach some cool classes in between like mythology. So I, I got to be the uh, kind of BS made up classes teacher. <laughs> uh, super fun for me. That's the goal. Uh, and then when I wasn't teaching in the classroom, I did a lot with the theater program. I uh, helped direct some of the shows and uh, helped kids get, get on stage. Toyed around with the band a little bit when I was early mm -hmm. on. Lots of fun. And helped out with just some of the general mental health initiatives at the school. And yeah, I think I think that pretty much summarizes it. Those were the, my my six years. Yeah, you were you were very involved. You weren't just like the not that there are many teachers like this, but like the come punch the clock, do your thing, yeah. and then be out. Like I mean, you you put in time, both volunteering and outside work. You know, everything I remember about you is you loved the work of education, or at least that was the <laughs> perception. I mean, you <laughs> seemed really passionate about it. I'm curious to know, did you always? know you wanted to go into education was it like something you had your heart set on because i do think there are a couple those thoughts of like people have to be born into education mm -hmm. which on one hand can be like yeah people find purpose in it but there's also kind of that trade-off of like it's still a job and so when people talk about leaving education or not it always kind of comes down to like where is your heart at was your heart in education before mm -hmm. you even stepped in the classroom yeah, I, I mean, I think my heart was in education before I stepped into the, into the classroom, but I don't know if I'm a believer that certain people are born mm -hmm. to teach. I, I think that the people who become great teachers, um, I think they're raised in in education and they love it, and, and so they want to go back and do more. Mm. So, no, I, I wouldn't say I was born into it, and um, part of the reason I say that is because I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher until mm. probably my junior year of college, whereas a lot of people, you know, were going straight into the education program. So to just back up a little bit, okay. my original career pathway was theater. And I pursued a theater degree in college for my first two years and gave my parents a heart attack. <laughs> and they asked me to have a backup plan. And I said, oh, whatever, you don't know anything. You're just my parents. Uh, I watched a lot of my friends go into theater and not have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. And in a couple cases, that really came back to bite them. Because if you know anything about the theater world, it is really paycheck to paycheck. To, you know, to be making a living in the world of theater is harder than education mm -hmm. by a long shot. 
So, you know, to go into theater, I was going to have to be ready to work my butt off both in theater and to support myself outside of theater. And so I originally made education my backup plan, and then I got realistic later in college and made education my primary plan and never looked back after that mm. um, until, you know, about six years down the road when I made the decision to leave education. So I wouldn't make the claim that I was born to be a teacher, both because I, I don't think anybody is right. uh, and because I really loved it, but decided to try some other stuff, too. Yeah, when it gets down to it, I'm not sure I, I do think that there's some inherent inborn skill set that makes someone predisposed to be a teacher. Right. I've I've long viewed careers the same way I've always viewed relationships. Of I've, I've never been in that mode of like there there's a chosen one, there's a there's a destiny, a soulmate. I think mm -hmm. to a large extent there are things that fit like your values fit a certain career or your skill set or just like your tolerance level. But then beyond that it, it's work. Right. It's like you you have to find those connections and sometimes it just doesn't work and it's okay to break up. And I I think that mindset that a lot of people have of like you're either born into it end up on this path of like if it's frustrating then they're like oh no is everything horribly wrong with my yeah. life outlook or on the flip side if, if they don't feel like there has to be any sort of connection between the values and a person's skill set then they end up just equally as frustrated of like well why am I doing this so on that note wasn't necessarily something you're born into but you were very passionate about it and very involved what kind of led to your decision of going a different route, of choosing a new relationship, breaking up with education mm -hmm. and crushing <laughs> education's heart? Wow, you're really making me sound like a uh, <laughs> supervillain here. Um, <laughs> well, hopefully my answer can uh, restore some uh, integrity here. Uh, I loved education, yeah. um, and I actually had a, a pretty sweet gig at the school we both taught at. So... I, you know, I've gotten asked a bunch of times, hey, what was the straw that broke the camel's mm. back? What went so wrong at, at your school? And the answer is there's nothing that I can point mm. to that was a single reason why I tried a new profession. Um, it was that, you know, first and foremost, I think like a lot of teachers, I wanted to know what else I could do. I think a lot of teachers go to college They'd get a degree in education and they say, all right, well, that's it. I'm a teacher now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, an education degree is one of the few degrees in the world where 95% of people who graduate with a degree in education, they're going to go straight into some form of education. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's at a private school, public school, uh, you know, Montessori, but, but it's going to be classroom education. So I wanted to see if I could use my degree to do other stuff. Uh, the great resignation was happening. You know, there w was not really a better time as far as um, job availability mm -hmm. goes. And so it was just an opportunity that I wanted to try. Now, why wasn't my job at, at our high school so great that I, I wanted to stay? What I was having an issue with was that I wasn't seeing changes happen in the school at a micro level or mm -hmm. education at a macro level that I was hoping to see. And I wasn't see education modernizing the way that I hope, hoped it would, you know, throughout the pandemic. And the pandemic opened up all these cracks. Hmm. I think any teacher can tell you that the pandemic, rather than introducing a ton of new problems, it did. But yeah. a bigger thing was that any flaw in the system got exposed yeah. even bigger. For sure. We made some decisions during the pandemic that did a great job of patching some of those flaws. 
And then when the pandemic was over, rather than capitalizing on those improvements, we went back yeah. to what was normal before the pandemic and didn't learn from the improvements. And that, to me, was an indication that that the world of education wasn't ready to yeah. modernize, wasn't ready to move forward, wasn't ready to improve itself. It's just kind of too systemically bogged down in its issues. I wasn't really in a place to fix that problem. And so I said, you know, during this time, it might be a good time for me to try something else. And, you know, that that's it's something I wrestle with a little bit because I would like to have stayed in and made improvements, but I felt like I was slogging through mud and yeah. not, not making any progress. Yeah. I think that was a, a hugely deflating moment for so many people, uh, myself included, mm -hmm. that, that phase of during the pandemic where it was like, oh my gosh, we're gonna have a new education. Like here's a moment where education is being forcibly dismantled because of the right. pandemic. So we can rebuild it however we want to. And there were some, some awesome movements and motions in prioritizing mental health and really trying to understand that and actually funding it to go along with it. And people were shifting their grading practices in a way I had never seen before in my career. And then it was like, right. as soon as we started to get a little bit of a handle on what the actual pandemic management looked like, everyone was like, or at least a lot of the leaders that I saw around were looking at, oh, I can't wait till we get back to normal. I can't wait till mm -hmm. we return to normal. And it was like, no, we don't want to go back. We yeah. want to move forward. And that crushed a lot of people's spirits, I think. In addition to the yep. exhaustion of just living in a pandemic, I think that weighed heavily on people. What were some of the things that yeah. you wished would have changed more? Or you look back and you're like, if this had been different, then maybe my decision to leave education might have also changed. Right. So I'll just, I'll give a, a specific example I had in my head this whole time. I think about the four-day work week. Mm -hmm. So during the pandemic, our school went to a pseudo four-day work week for students. Mm -hmm. For teachers, it was like a five-day work week with a reduced day. And by having that break day in the week, you saw all these benefits. You saw the maximum number of days in a row become two mm -hmm. instead of five. You have extra homework time. You have extra grading time. It is easier on the students, easier on the teacher. It was so widely appreciated and supported and liked, but it was tanked when we came back for some pretty obvious reason. There's transportation issues. There's issues with, you know, hey, my high schooler has a four-day week, but my middle schooler and elementary schooler has a five-day week. Right. What do I do now? You know, it's just such a bummer that we had this idea that was killing it, in yeah. my opinion, doing great stuff for education in both academic, mental health, organizational roles. And we just immediately tanked it because, hey, it's time to go back to yeah. normal. Yeah, It would have taken work to take that plan and yeah. make it work in a non-COVID year, but we immediately saw how worth it that work was. Yeah. But instead, you know, the, the people who had the decision-making power said, let's not do that work. Let's go back to normal, normal works. But man, we were we were offered this cool opportunity and I would, you know, would have liked the opportunity to pursue it. Yeah, for sure. I think the, the comfort piece is mm -hmm. what got to a lot of people that it was uncomfortable to to look at work in a different way. It would involved a little bit more discomfort as well. It was just like flexibility. I, it, it could be hard on families to have a day where they have to figure out their kids in different schools. But that's also an opportunity where, you know, there's so much creative thought around like, well, we could utilize some of our school systems to try train students and provide 
childcare and uh, help start new programs. Like there are ways we could have worked through yeah. it and creativity could have happened, but it just felt like a lot of people were just so exhausted with all the change. They're just like, let's get it back to how it was. And that was a huge missed opportunity. Flexibility. Right. I think giving workers more flexibility to have the time they need to handle things and be able to make the decisions they need for their students and themselves in the moment. That's what that four day work week felt like to a lot of educators is finally we have some flexibility yeah. and autonomy with how to use our time. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now and how mm -hmm. your experience in the private sector is compared to what it was like in education. Give us a, a brief synopsis. What the heck is your job right now? Okay. So my job title is instructional designer. I work for a company that on the surface sounds like it doesn't have anything to do with education. Mm. I work for a company that does warehouse logistics. Don't go to sleep. That's actually kind of an interesting subject to me. <laughs> um, so when we teach people how warehouses work, specifically software engineers who need to build our products, you know, we, we have to speed them through uh, training material and learning. And so my job is basically to design that learning. I do that on a learning management system. So if you're listening to this and you've ever used a learning management system, Power School, Infinite Campus, Buzz, mm -hmm. whatever, to post assignments, create tests, any of that stuff, that's just my job full time at a corporation mm -hmm. for adults rather than um, students or teenagers. But they're still learners. I'm still posting and creating content. And the subject matter is, you know, shipping logistics, warehouse logistics, automation inside warehouses, as job entails. Yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense that jobs are more complex than they were previously. And so people have to learn a lot on the job. And so a teacher would have a great skill set of you got raw material coming in. They have to learn some objectives and outcomes and they have to be able to demonstrate that. How do we do that as efficiently and as engagingly as possible? And I could absolutely see where a teacher's skill set comes into play. So what has it been yeah. like so far in your time there? What have you noticed that is better about this work? What are some things that you might mm -hmm. still miss about? the world of education the first thing that's nice about this work is just like you said as a teacher my skill set was highly applicable mm. and I think my biggest concern was man I'm a teacher like my degree and my experience yeah. is so specific to the classroom how am I gonna do in the big bad corporate office world and it's nothing it's overblown you know what what the office space is like i do just fine my skills transfer in fact if you're a teacher and you're working long hours and grading you're probably working harder than mm -hmm. you're going to at a corporate job or something in the private sector you're working your butt off already it's not about to get harder um and later i can talk a little bit about you know some of the upsides of having your schedule back thinking about the skill set of educators i mean i remember you and i were talking to one of our friends who's also an educator and he's like man there's just like not anything i could do outside of the classroom and we're like no you have no idea what your skill set is like when when you actually take <laughs> yeah. an educator's skill set and break it down i mean it is insane the level of thought and complexity that educators can handle and are so used to and the work ethic i think that's one of the biggest things right. of you know anytime people talk about educators slogging 
off, I think of literally every other job I've had and how much just free time people were just sitting around the water cooler and chatting it up and delaying getting started. And like, there's no time for that in education. You're just so used to grinding it out. So I, I do think a lot of educators don't realize just how valuable their skill set is. Thankfully, we're in a time now where an education degree doesn't just pigeonhole you necessarily into the classroom, that a lot of jobs are looking for that sort of uh, skill set and even degree. Was that your experience when, when you switched jobs? Were they turned off at all with your education degree? Did they see it as an asset? I'm curious how it was viewed. I put my education experience front and center mm. on my resume because I'm proud of it. Yeah. And I love my time as an educator and I wanted a business that values that. I thought that I was going to have to pitch why education was applicable to these corporate companies. Mm -hmm. Never once in the maybe 10 or 15 interviews that I went through did a company ask me to pitch why education was applicable in their corporate environment. Every single one said, your resume jumped out to us because you're a teacher. Wow. So I think one of the things you got to understand about the zeitgeist right now with hiring is that there are suddenly way more people in the camp of looking for work, and there's way more openings because of this great resignation that's happening. So on both sides of the aisle, openings and applications, there's more. Hmm. So you need something on your resume that jumps out. You already have it if you're a teacher. Hmm. Your teaching experience jumps out on any resume to any industry. Put it at the top. You were just saying teachers' skill sets transfer. They are so transferable. Hmm. Whether it's work ethic, whether it's project management. They, you know, I hadn't worked in the corporate sector. They're all about projects. And they said, tell us about your project management experience. You are a teacher. Your classroom is a project. Your right. extracurriculars are a project. Your sports are a project. Everything's a project. Yeah. And beyond that, like you said, your work ethic is high. During the musical season, for example, I was at work from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. every single day. Mm. Imagine pitching that worth work ethic to any corporation. Be, be cautious yeah, give, pitching that work ethic where they're like, I'm oh, you're, yeah, you're, I'm not going to. <laughs> you're going to work but, here forever. <laughs> Yeah. But if you're used to, you know, just working, let's say a, a 10 hour day because you come in and do an eight hour school day plus two hours of anything, a mm. sport, a club, whatever, grading after school, your workload is going down when you switch to the corporate world. Mm. You know, it, it, it's not really a question of can you pitch your skill set? It's a question of when you do pitch your skill set, is the company going to value it? That's so interesting that that is seen as such an asset that a lot of educators don't realize how much of an asset it is. What has been the most positive thing that you've experienced on the work level? Like, what do you like most about the work you're doing in the private sector compared to education? The, the thing I like most about private sector work is the level of respect that you're given in your position. Mm. It is assumed by most people that you are very knowledgeable, and very skilled in the role that you fulfill. I don't need to argue for why I'm the expert on something. When I pitch it to someone who knows anything less than I do about it, I'm not always the expert in it. <laughs> and um, the, the fact that I'm provided the assumption that I am frees me up to be more comfortable asking questions, 
It frees me up to be more comfortable making decisions. It just feels like there are fewer roadblocks in between me and achieving goals that I want to see happen in my work. Hmm. That's the number one thing. And you can see that in the way people treat you, but you can also see it in small stuff. For example, if I wanted to buy a chair for my classroom, I needed to, you know, write up an explanation of why that chair was necessary, how it was going to be used, yeah. and how it might improve my pedagogy in the classroom. You had to like write a grant That's for it. It's a little it. bit of an extreme example, but <laughs> a grant request for that one extra chair. But in the world of corporate world, you know, I I the other week just offhandedly asked my boss if I could attend a diversity workshop that costs $500 and she said yes before I told her the price. You know, it's that kind of yeah. thing where, you know, there's an assumption that you're doing what's in the best interest of you and your growth as a professional. Yeah. So I love that aspect of my new job. I know a lot of listeners might, you know, do the apples to oranges comparison that public education, for example, doesn't, doesn't have endless money. You know, corporations don't yep. either, but typically they have a little bit more money to spend. So they'd be like, well, of course, education can't just throw money at it whenever you request. But I think what you're hitting at is much deeper than that. It's, it's the, the trust that what you're requesting is of value. I think about the moments when I pitched a class to school leaders where where I was like, hey, I think this would be a really cool class. And you can tell a lot about whether your leaders value you or not, trust you or not, based off of how hard of a time they give you. You know, if they're like, oh, no, like we trust you. I think it'd be great. Just, you know, help us understand it so that we can support you. That's a whole different response than you need to sell us on why you need this desk chair or this right. class or this change. And that's an area that is, is free. You don't have to spend money trusting people to try out ideas and trying to empower them and I think that's that's a huge opportunity that a lot of schools are missing right now. Yeah, I think if if you're a teacher and you're wondering how does your school handle new ideas, mm. doing exactly what you just said will give you the answer. If your administration says, "Wow, that's an interesting idea. Let's just trust your instinct, go for it, and then we'll evaluate," they trust you. Mm. They like new ideas. But if they say that's a huge risk. You need to sell us on it before we're even going to consider it. That's a, a school or an administration team that is much more focused on the risks of new mm. ideas than the rewards of new ideas. And one thing I'll tell you is in the corporate world, they're always focused on the potential rewards mm. of new ideas. They're aware of the risks. Yeah but they are focused on the potential rewards. And that comes from how essentially all businesses in a capitalist society yeah. have a growth mindset. Yeah. Unfortunately, schools don't always have a growth mindset. It's so ironic that yeah. we pitch growth <laughs> mindsets to all our students, but show me a public school that has a growth mindset that goes beyond its SIP, it's school improvement right. plan that goes beyond it, maybe in the sports program, mm. but are you seeing it in the, the quote unquote teaching program? Are yeah. they trying new ideas all the time? Yeah. So, you know, experiment with that. If you're a teacher, pitch a new idea and just pay attention to how it's received yeah. by your administration. Yeah. It doesn't even need to be something you want to follow through on. Just pay attention to the, you know, the reception. Yeah. That speaks volumes of, of the culture and how leaders support. Is there anything you miss about education? Absolutely. And this is like arguably the most important part of this call is understanding the move hmm. to the private sector. 
it should not be sold as this happy hunky dory new world mm. um so i miss all sorts of stuff i miss connecting with students i miss the social workplace um now i i work from home mm. and i have a great community of people i work with virtually through meetings and chat messages but it's not the same as face-to-face communication i miss you know how you can freestyle your way through a classroom um <laughs> You know, I, I, you are kind of the master of your own domain when you're a teacher, yeah. as long as you um, don't co-teach, you know, or you have a really good co-teacher who, you know, you're in sync with, you really can make your own decisions on the fly. Mm. You cannot quite do that in the same way in the corporate world. So, you know, of course I miss uh, having my own classroom and, and communicating with learners uh, face-to-face uh, and live that that is, you know, just something that is really unique to public education and you're not necessarily going to get it elsewhere. So when it comes down to it, you know, if, if seeing students at their desks every single day is just something that, that brings you joy and, and keeps you going and gets you up in the morning every single day, yeah, that, that can go away. I loved that. However, it, it wasn't necessarily something I needed to get up every day. And mm-hmm. so I experimented with you know this new profession where it's uh you know at a computer and it's in my own home and i'm creating education but it's asynchronous i don't interact with students Uh, someone would need to make their own decision for themselves about whether or not they can do education in a completely asynchronous way yeah for sure i think because that does strip you know one of the hopefully the main reasons people get into education is is they like interacting with kids and they like seeing the process as it's happening Mm -hmm. of learning uh, since I'm into candid conversations, I'm sure a lot of listeners would be wondering how much did finances come into play with this decision? Because I, I do think that weighs heavily on a lot of people of when they're comparing is the grass greener, they're looking at the green of money sometimes too. So I, I'll just be abundantly honest. For me personally, finances were a really, really big decision yeah. maker. In my head, I you know, I had kind of scripted out a plan of I'm going to start applying for jobs and I need, you know, a raise of, you know, I think I said in my head, you know, I want to see 25% more Mm. income. And I was offered double my salary (laughs) to switch to the corporate world. I, I can't begin to tell you how that changes someone's life, but it really is incredible that there are positions out there that ask for the skill set teachers have that are willing to pay teachers double what schools are. It is a comment on our society, really, that the private sector can pay teachers double what schools are. It's a massive issue. I'm not trying to call this a good thing in any way. But for me personally, I was able to take advantage of that financial boost. And I am using that money to do the things in my life that I wasn't able to as an educator. You know, I, I live alone and I don't have a house. Uh, I rent an apartment. And so for me, I was able to subsist on a teaching salary mm-hmm. pretty well. But what I wasn't doing was progressing life goals like getting married, having kids, buying a house. Mm-hmm. So teaching is one of those professions where if you're satisfied with the pay and you don't have monetary goals, you don't have any issue. But I was finding my goals, my life goals were stalled because of my financial situation. I absolutely wasn't, you know, down in the dirt. 
but I wasn't saving. I wasn't moving towards my goals. Right. So sometimes people will ask me, you know, do I love my new job more than teaching? And the honest answer is, is no. Uh, mm. I don't like it more or less. This switch that I have made has allowed me to make some moves in my life that I couldn't before. And I like my life better now. Mm. I, I think of my job as not a separate thing from my life. Mm. It's part of my life. It contributes to how great or how challenging my life is. And my life has gotten easier since taking this new job. Do I necessarily like the work better or worse? No. But my life is more what I want it to be right now. Mm. That honesty, I think, is really important. Just even having that conversation. I feel like so many educators, they feel icky talking about money sometimes. Yeah. Either they're like, that's all they want to talk about is the salary involved, or they they feel weird asking for more or wanting more. It's almost kind of like this. Because we're we're nurturing people and we care about kids, we can't also want money. Uh, that like feeling of greed. But it, it does come down to like you have to be able to meet your needs and move forward in your life goals because your goals outside of your job are going to influence your energy level, your commitment, your passion within your job as well. There are probably some listeners, like if you're a school leader right now and you're like, oh crap, I can't just wave a magic wand and pay my educators more. Something you and I have talked about I think is really interesting is that there is, there's a lot of money in education. There just isn't a whole lot of money in teaching. And I think for a lot of people, they have to make that decision of, okay, I'm going to teach, but I need to find a way to supplement income elsewhere because that is going to allow me to move forward. On the flip side, some people might move into a career path where the finances are there, but then they have to seek outside meaning. And so they're volunteering outside of their job or they're getting involved in a school you know, on the weekends or however they can. And that is another piece that I think a lot of people need to weigh if they're deciding what to do with their career. Uh, it be hard to make money in teaching directly, but there are a lot of ways to supplement that income. And on the flip side, if you aren't teaching, it doesn't mean that you're not able to educate and make an impact. So it's, it's a very complex balance between meaning and income. Yeah. And I, I, I think we've talked about this before. I, I think of every profession as fulfilling two meters. Hmm. One is the meter of financial stability. And one is the meter of emotional stability. Mm -hmm. And a, the perfect job, both would be at the top. Right. That job doesn't exist, in my opinion. <laughs> right. So you can have a job that's super fulfilling emotionally, like teaching, yeah. uh, high up on the emotion side, but it might be low on the financial side. If it's high enough emotionally, it doesn't matter where the, the pay is. If it fulfills you every single day, we see those lifelong teachers who have been getting the same salary, mm. little small-ass salary increases for their whole career, and they're fine with that because it's fulfilling emotionally. Yeah. And then, of course, we have people in the corporate world who are making bank, yeah. um, and maybe their job is the most boring thing ever. You know, there's people out there who have just boring, lame jobs and make a ton of money, and so they're fine. The issue, in my opinion, is when both are low. Right. And unfortunately for me, in, you know, in education both got low during the pandemic. You know, if, if you're wondering about, if you're a listener and you're wondering about that switch, think about those levels for you. You know, how fulfilling is the job? How supportive is the pay? Mm. And if they're just both not there, 
something's got to give. Yeah. That would be a really interesting exercise as like a, a takeaway of someone to, to visualize like scale of one to 10, where's my meaning level, my yeah. sa satisfaction, and then scale of one to 10, like where's my financial satisfaction? And, and then start to think of like, okay, well, is it realistic? Is there something else I could do to move up that financial without taking too much away from the meaning? Or does that mean to to take a whole different move with my career. On the note of, right. of practical takeaways, what what would be your, your tip or suggestion for someone who is in that mode of wondering if the grass is greener outside of education? One of the first challenges is that when we're thinking about the, the grass is always greener, you know, what would life be like outside of education? We're often standing safely inside of the world of education. And mm. to continue with the metaphor, we're staring through the window <laughs> into the other yard. Get out there, go look at the other yard more carefully. Yeah. For me, my job search lasted a year. Mm. I made a decision to to look into work outside of education about a year before I actually started applying for jobs. I did that through my grad school program where I was working with a lot of non-public educators. Mm. And they were kind of talking to me about the pros and cons. So if you're listening to this podcast, like this is already the first step. But the next step would be to go talk to people outside of education personally. Maybe do some applications regardless of whether or not you plan to yeah. switch. Go out there. Talk to people who are in the, the types of professions that you might be interested in. And find more. I've had a couple people contact me from all over the state uh, who I know just through my schooling hmm. who are thinking about leaving right now. And they always just ask simple questions like, hey, what's it like being a private educator through a corporation? And I'm so happy to have those conversations with people because that's the first step into deciding if it's right for you. The, the second thing I would say is if you are trying to figure out if the grass will be greener on the other side, you need to really define what you're hoping is better. Because if it's just an amorphous, hmm. I hope the job is better, then you're, you're probably not going to be able to select a, a profession for you that very specifically fulfills the things you're trying to improve. So if you want to make more money, then you need to pursue a career that makes more money. If you want to be taken more seriously in the workplace, then you need to bring that up in your interviews and ask how they treat people. So knowing what you're actually looking for is what's going to define whether or not you can find the uh, place that that is green. And you might just end up in a yard that is not greener in any way. <laughs> That's a big part of problem solving is that I, if you don't know what the true problem is, you could spend a lot of time thinking you're solving something and then not getting to the root of it. And so I think for a lot of people getting down to the core of what are my biggest issues? Is it autonomy? Is it trust? Is it money? Is it just the the amount of time I have to put into my work? And then of those, which, which one could be tackled and how would that look? I think, again, is a good way to explore first before completely jumping out of the yard and, and regretting it. But I right. also think it's, it's a time right now where a lot of people, they can they can dabble, they can try new careers, and there's probably going to be a spot for them still in education. And they can talk to other school districts even and look at other potential jobs and see if their salary or their steps would get matched. And that hasn't always been the case. And so I think you're right that a lot of people just exploring in depth and taking that exploration process seriously is, is really important to understanding whether the grass is greener. 
And I, I'm going to guess that some of the people listening aren't thinking about fully leaving education, but are thinking about, you know, could I be doing better at a different school? Yeah. If that's your question, you really got to consider what you hope is, is better. Yeah. Because the answer to the question is there's probably a lot of things that are the same yeah. or equivalent. From school to school, we're all dealing with these same issues. So if you're thinking about hopping to a new school... First off, yeah, there's never been a better time. You have the most power. Right. So because you have the most power and the most needed skill set, you have the space and the time to really make sure you're making a good choice. So I would say to those of you looking at hopping schools, write a list, talk to your friends, and, and define what you're looking for before just hoping that the school next door is doing better. Let's move into our last set of questions here. I'm going to pose a statement to you and you're going to tell me whether you strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree. And then we might elaborate a little bit more on those. Let's start with the first one. This is a very personal statement. Your cat Tuna is the worst cat ever. Oh man. We'll see if he can come in and, and weigh in on this. <laughs> come in here, please. We'll see if he comes in. So for anybody who doesn't know, I have a very famous cat named Tuna. I would say He's infamous. Infamous cat. would be a more accurate word. He's sure, infamous. <laughs> He's the only cat I've ever personally owned. I'm a dog person who has been saddled with a cat. And so by definition, he is both the worst and best cat mm. that I've ever owned. But he really does lean into one side, and that is being an absolute monster all day, every day. I'm I'm a cat person. I, I like cats, but I, I don't know, man. Tuna Tuna scratched me way too many times. He's like the cat who like you, yeah. you show a little bit of love and affection for, and he will use that against mm -hmm. you, and then he'll just come up and attack you. Right, like a like a passive aggressive in law. <laughs> That's how I think about him. Yeah, you know, yeah. I will say I don't know if I agree that he is the worst because what was it, Mufasa who destroyed Simba's dad? Like he might be a little little bit worse, but. I can't That's believe how poorly you just described Lion King. You couldn't even successfully spoil it. It wasn't Mufasa <laughs> who killed Simba's dad. Mufasa is Simba's dad. It's been way too long. Way too long. Well, you have a ch you have two children. I know we have not watched The Lion King. Isn't that sad? We've watched a lot of other ones, but maybe it's because I don't want my kid to cry yet. So who who do, who kills Mufasa? Who's it? Well, are we good with with giant Disney spoilers? Yeah, I mean, I'm Scar, you Scar, dummy. Scar, yeah. Come on. Okay, Scar is the absolute worst cat. Tuna is a very close second worst cat. Um, all right, next statement: the grass is greenest where you water it. If grass is growing where you're mm -hmm. watering it, probably it's greener. But you got to look down sometimes and see if there even is grass in the first place. So that's my complex metaphor for saying um, if you're watering and watering and watering yeah. and nothing's happening, no, the grass is not greener. You got to find something else. But if something is happening, then it might not be the time to you know quit on that. Mm. So this might be somewhat related. A teacher's job satisfaction is in their hands. Mm. I, I would say I strongly agree with that statement. I think sometimes we are convinced that a lot of what happens in education is out of our hands mm. because teachers don't have the power they probably should have in the world of education. But your job satisfaction is not directly connected 
to what your job is like. And, and I, you probably can say more mm-hmm. on this than I can because this comes back to the tenets of positive psychology. Mm-hmm. Your satisfaction with your job has 99% to do with your attitude about it and your actions related to it. If, if you can make your life work around a mediocre job, then your job satisfaction might be really high. So that isn't to say that you should be satisfied with a job that isn't great, that that doesn't fulfill your needs. It's just to say that you are the captain of your own emotional ship, and you can either find ways to make a challenging job work for you, or you can go look for a different job, mm. you know, one that's more intrinsically satisfying. So I, I do think that when it comes down to it at the end of the day, you, the teacher, are in control of your job satisfaction. Reverting back to, because we, we love English teachers, we love a, a good metaphor. Um, you know, we brought <laughs> up earlier the idea of relationships. And I, th- I think, again, sometimes people will blame the other person in the relationship for the entire issue of the relationship without looking in the yep. mirror and realizing where is their autonomy, where, where are they making some decisions. Now, that doesn't mean you should stick in an abusive or unhealthy relationship, no. for sure. So it does go both ways, but... Too often, I think a lot of times people put all the power into their jobs hands without realizing how much they can do on their own as well. Last statement, parents should encourage their kids to pursue education degrees. I disagree with this with an asterisk next to it. (laughs) I'm not a believer that parents should push their kids really hard in any one professional direction. Unless your kid has come to you first and said, you know, this is what I want and I need your support, then, yeah, you you push your kid um, as a supportive parent should. But in the same way, you know, I I would never sit my kid down and be like, you're going to be a doctor someday. Mm. I'm so excited for you to be a doctor. I wouldn't sit my kid down and say, you're going to be a teacher someday. I'm so excited for you to be a teacher. So I, I wouldn't say push your kids towards education any more than any other career pathway, mostly because that's a very difficult decision for your kid and they need to make it on their own, you know, with your support Mm. as a parent. I think some people are worried, hey, we shouldn't, you know, encourage kids to go into education because the profession is rocky right now, but, you know, your kid might be part of the generation that improves the profession, and that would be awesome. So for sure, you shouldn't be afraid of it either. And every job has its has its stuff. I mean, I, the amount of people, my peers who went in with business degrees because their parents encouraged them to go into business, and then they're like, they're it's saturated. There's so many people with business degrees who haven't yep. differentiated themselves and going into the medical field, like uh, being a doctor has huge burnout rates. And so again, I think a lot of times for parents, it's being informed enough to help support whoever your kid is with making the right decisions. Like I talk with educators all the time. Of if you're going to go into education, get really smart with your money. You're going to have to really think about money yeah. differently. You're going to have to be more strategic with your money. You're going to have to consider things like, okay, maybe I will start at a community college because that's going to help save me in the long run. I think no matter what the degree give people the power to pursue what they want to, but encourage and support them with a lot of rational thinking around it for sure. Well, awesome, Nick. Thank you so much for your time and and your expertise of whether the grass is greener. And I'm going to be holding on to that analogy of like, is there actually grass growing before I start to make that decision?
So let's reflect before we ask for our check and cash on out of education. Choosing a job or profession is a multifaceted decision. It is really friggin' complex. It isn't as easy as comparing salary scales. However, taking some time to reflect on what we want or need is a valuable part of problem solving. So here's your homework. Whether you're just temporarily ticked off or ready to permanently take off from education. Number one, create some scales of one to 10 for things that are important to gain from your work. Nick suggested two of them, having a financial column or scale and a meaning column or scale. But you could have any number of scales, uh, social connection or autonomy or trust. Then note where your current work lands on these scales. What level on the scale do you need to feel better about your job or what range on that scale would be acceptable? Use these scales to consider your next move. Do they involve talking with your boss or your school leader about your needs and advocating? Does it mean taking on a different role or task to supplement some of those areas or would it require a bigger shift, a move in a whole new direction? Reflect before you react is the important thing. Your second assignment, give yourself permission to research changes. Talk to people at other schools and other positions or other professions. Have them reflect on the scales you created to give you a sense of how green the grass is where they're at. It never hurts to learn more, right? I wish you well on your reflections of what you need to make that grass grow. And I'm grateful for you, Happy Hour Hodgepodge of listeners, for taking the time to listen today. I hope you gain some new insights on getting that lawn of living lush and well-watered. Now, if you like this podcast, please leave us a positive review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this with someone you know and, you know, help us keep our grass green and growing its impact. Hakuna Matata, y'all. Special thanks to Nick for being so candid about his experience and for inspiring me to actually watch The Lion King again. And of course, thank you to our sponsor, Tapi's Speakers, the source for inspiring and impactful speakers and professional development leaders who can help take your students, your staff, and your organization to the next level. Browse the 33 carefully vetted speakers, check out customer reviews, and watch preview videos over at topyouthspeakers.com.